Today on Ag News Daily. It's all about giving farm managers and farm management real-time information to make decisions based off of. So on our family farm and every farm that I've met with, most decisions are based off of what's worked in the past or a hunch or just that gut feeling. Good afternoon and happy Friday from the Ag News Daily Podcast, or Friday, I should say. I feel like we haven't been saying Friday like we used to, but I am joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how's your Friday going? Well, it is a Friday. We had a big uh, lunch here at work. We do kind of end of quarter awards and stuff, so we always cater and lunch for our folks. And I had a big lunch, so now I'm sleepy and I need a nap. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I had a pizza buffet for one of my sister's birthdays today. So it's about nap time for me as well. Well, maybe you can have a little nap here after we're done with the podcast. I unfortunately will not be having a nap afterwards. Well, I have some pretty big 12-year-old birthday plans this afternoon. So I don't think that's going to happen for me either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I bet she loves having her big sister home. So that will be fun for you guys. It absolutely will be. And my mom and my stepdad, they put up not too long ago, they put up a pool every summer. Oh, it's nice. kind of late because of how much it rained mm-hmm. this spring, but they just put that up. So I'm pretty excited as well. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of rain, we're getting quite a bit of heavy rain today down here in the Des Moines area. I think a lot of folks are getting some wet weather and that has pushed to uh, put the pressure on commodity markets. So We'll talk about that as well as the upcoming WASDE report on Monday's podcast, Ashton. But today, let's talk about some current news going on in the world of agriculture. What you got for us? Well, to kick things off, I have an email from you actually talking about how producers can now hay, graze, and chop cover crops anytime and still receive full prevented planting payment. Producers with crop insurance can do all of that for silage, haylage, or baleage at any time and still receive 100% of the prevented planting payment. Previously, cover crops could only be hay grazed or chopped after November 1st. Otherwise, the prevented planting payment was reduced by a whopping 65%. The USDA's RMA added this flexibility as part of a broader effort to encourage producers to use cover crops, which they say is an important conservation and good farming practice. We've had a lot of conversation about cover crops, and I think that it is going to be an increasingly used way to really take care of the soil and boost soil health among farmers. The RMA says that they recognize that cover crops are not planted as an ag commodity, but rather with the primary purpose for those conservation benefits. So for the 2021 crop year and beyond, RMA will not consider a cover crop planted following a prevented planting claim to be a second crop, but the RMA will continue to consider a cover crop harvested for grain or seed to be a second crop, and it remains sub Subject to a reduction in the prevented planning indemnity in accordance with the policy. So folks, if you are looking to use cover crops or you already do, I would definitely get with an RMA office or talk to somebody about that and definitely look into it. Absolutely, Ashton. But I've got another piece of legislative related news here. Actually, two pieces of news kind of tied together. But USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack was expected to make a big announcement today, and he did do just that. He is in Council Bluffs, Iowa today, 
and is expected to make a big announcement here or has made a may, has made a big announcement that the USDA is putting forth 500 million dollars for expanded meat and poultry processing capacity as part of their efforts to increase competition in the protein industry and encourage the rebuilding of small to medium-sized meat processors of course i'm thinking a lot of this was by the disruption we had during COVID-19 when we saw a lot of large facilities have issues uh, putting protein through the pipeline. And so now we have officially seen this new action plan rolled out here by the USDA. It's called the Build Back Better Initiatives Fund. It's actually Money is actually coming from the American Rescue Plan. And like I said, there will support small to medium meat and poultry processing facilities. And so to apply, you can head to the USDA's website. They have uh, the process there of how to become eligible, how to apply, all that good stuff. But I think it's really exciting that they are encouraging this because I personally love our small town meat locker and we've always had a great relationship. You know, when I grew up, we had small town meat locker that would take care of our beef and pork needs. We currently do. My fiance and I currently do now as adults. And so I'm excited to see how this initiative gets rolled out. And I really do hope that it encourages small and medium sized processing facilities to spark back up and, and increase some competition here. But while we're talking about increased competition, Ashton, I'm going to segue here into this other piece of news. And that's talking about an executive order that President Biden signed just today. Again, addressing consolidation throughout the economy, not just agriculture specific, but obviously agriculture has been a big part of his talking points that we've been talking about a little bit here earlier this week on the podcast, because he wants to try to encourage big businesses, big agribusinesses to, and, and big four meatpacking companies to move away from that model and focus more on competition. And so the White House put out some statements earlier today, essentially saying that talking about how the economy has been, quote unquote, booming under the Biden administration and has put forth more jobs here in the past five months of office than any other president. But then he goes through and, and suggests exactly what industries and where he wants to continue to improve. And so for in the agriculture portion of this, he said that, you know, over the past few decades, agricultural markets have become more concentrated and less competitive in industries particular to seed, equipment, feed, and fertilizer. He said those are now just dominated by a few large companies, meaning that family farmers and ranchers now have to pay more for less inputs. He listed again those big four companies uh, in controlling the meat industry in particular. And he said that those have gone up as much as 30% annually. So the part of this legislation here is to help things like that and to try and uh, get less, have more competition and less competitive uh, agribusinesses dominating the industry. He said that he is directing the USDA to consider issuing new rules under the Packers and Stockyard Act to try and make it easier for farmers to bring and win claims against processing facilities. He also said for the USDA to consider issuing new rules defining when meat can bear a product of the U.S. label so that consumers have accurate labels to encourage them to or allow them to purchase products that were actually made here. And he also directed the USDA to 
increase opportunities for farmers to access markets and receive a fair return, including supporting alternative food distribution systems like farmers markets and developing standards and labels. So that's all really we have as far as this executive order goes, just directives. We don't know yet how necessarily those specifics are going to be rolled out for the ag industry. Yeah, Delaney, there were 72 initiatives in that executive order. So it's a lot to get through. But like you said, definitely some in there that directly impact the ag industry. We talked about the right to repair yesterday, and I wrote about it in our newsletter for the network this week. And so the order, of course, addresses that, um, those anti-competitive practices. So I'm happy to see that this is happening and that verbiage being used. But what exactly is going to happen and how it's going to roll out, we don't know. So I'm excited about that as well. But I just have one other piece of news to talk about today because honestly, everything was really about that executive order that you discussed. So don't have a whole lot to talk about today other than some Oregon farm workers who are advocating for extreme heat rules after a laborer died earlier this month. Temperatures in St. Paul, Oregon reached 104 degrees and Honestly, if you're from somewhere like Phoenix or even down here in Texas, that might not seem too bad considering how hot our summers are down here in the South. But for somewhere like Oregon, it's uh, it's not the norms. They've had a unprecedented heat wave this summer, which has led to these record temperatures across the state. This death occurs as Oregon is considering new rules, of course, to protect workers from extreme heat, as well as wildfire smoke. The state was originally expected to submit a proposal for those rules this month, but that deadline was pushed back to September due to the pandemic. The heat experienced in the Pacific Northwest is something most there have never seen before, and this laborer was working in berry fields, and so that's pretty intense work, I would say, of course, working out there in the fields directly under the sun. Definitely not a good thing for our industry when our workers are out there in that extreme heat, my heart goes out to the family who has lost this loved one, but it sounds like Oregon is pushing for better rules and better practices for their employees. And labor, of course, has been a, a tough issue. And we talk a little bit actually about labor with our 30 under 30 this week, Tyler McGee, which we'll be featuring later on in the episode. So folks out to tune in for that. But even when we're just experiencing things like weather, it's not just how, you know, employees might be treated by their employers or anything like that, or, or visa issues, weather is also an extreme thing that we have to take into consideration. So it sounds like the state of Oregon is pushing for better, or I shouldn't say the state of Oregon, I should say these laborers are pushing for better rules to protect themselves. It certainly sounds that way, Ashton. And yeah, this summer is going to be a hot one, I'd say, regardless of where you are. We're hopefully going to get some rain, but also going to get some uh, hot temperatures to go right along with that. But Ashton, I have just one other piece of news here to segue us into the markets, and that is demand. It appears that Chinese demand for many products, including pork and grain crops, may slump here a little bit moving forward. Uh, China, and again, take this with a grain of salt, but China has put forth uh, a statement saying that, or not a statement, but has put forth information noting that their pork prices have slumped about 36.5% in June compared to a year ago due to what they're pointing to as an increase in 
stability in their hog herd after African swine fever wiped out so much of their population. So we're seeing prices uh, start to finally slump there, making it a little cheaper for them to keep product and eat product that they're producing, quote unquote, in-house, we'll say. But it also appears that overall export sales to China are taking a little bit of a pause here. And it appears that China is going to be taking a break from buying any sort of large amounts of U.S. corn after record purchases this year because domestic harvest is approaching and local prices have apparently slumped down there in China, not only on the hog side, but also on the corn side as well. Uh, So far, they've already bought more than 10.5 million tons of U.S. corn for the 21-22 marketing year and over 23 million tons for the current season. So it's expected that China may slow down here, especially as they get through harvest season and see what they've actually got to pull out of the fields. But overall, hopefully that shouldn't have too much of an impact on the markets because we are, of course, trading more so weather right now then we are trading demand. But Ashton, what do you say we hop over here and take a look at where markets left us for today? Let's do it, Delaney. I'm ready. All right. So am I, Ashton. And again, quick reminder, we're going to talk about WASD on Monday because that comes out at 11 a.m. Central Time. And heading into the weekend, we didn't see a whole lot of sell-off across many markets other than corn today, getting squared up ahead of the weekend. Heading into that report, we saw the September corn contract down seven and a quarter cents to close at 529 and a half. The D's down six and three quarters to close at 517. Soybeans, however, had the opposite effect today. Trading trading higher across the board with the August contract up 14 cents to close at 1379 and a quarter. The November up nine and three quarters cents to close at 13.29 and a quarter. Hopping over to the wheat pits today, we had some mixed trade across the wheat complex as the Chicago contract finished lower across the board. Hard red winter wheat, however, continues its upward momentum with the September contract up six cents today to close at 5.94. The D sub five and three quarters cents to close at 6.05. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we had a little bit of mixed trade in the live cattle complex with the August contract shedding a nickel to close at 119. 22 and a half. The October up 12 and a half cents to close at 125.57 and a half. But otherwise, across the board here into feeder cattle and lean hogs, we had some strength today. August feeder cattle today closed a dollar 85 higher to end at 159.17 and a half. The September up a dollar 80 to close at 161.82 and a half. And in lean hogs today, the August contract up a dollar twenty to close at 101.57 and a half. The October up a dollar 32 and a half to close at 85. 542 and a half. Repping things up with our class three dairy milk futures. The August contract shed three pennies today to close at 1756. The September down seven to close at 1771. Without further ado, Ashton, let's kick it over to today's 30 under 30 interview. Today, we are talking to Tyler McGee, who is the founder of the Shepherd Platform. Tyler, thank you so much for coming on and joining us once again. We've had you on the podcast before, but it's great to catch up with you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to catch up with you as well. So, Tyler, before we really get to hear what you've been up to, and it sounds like you've been pretty busy since the last time we spoke, let's talk a little bit more about uh, your your background. I know we touched on that the last time we had you on, but it's been some time, and that was for a Tech Tuesday, so this one's really all about you. So why don't you tell us a little bit more? 
Perfect. So I grew up on a family farm in northeast Montana, or farm is about two miles south of the Canadian border. So it's as wide open as you can get up there. And I joke that that's what really gave me the time to look around and say, hey, there are probably some things on our farm that could work a little better than they do. And on our farm, everything went through my grandfather. We would spend all day checking in with him. What do we need to be working on? Where's the machinery? What's up next? What's getting behind? And especially as, as I was getting ready to go into college, that really struck me as not not a very efficient way of doing things. It made sense, but it, it definitely kept us behind a lot. And when I went into college, I knew that I wanted to be working at the intersection of technology and agriculture. There were so many cool things that were coming on the scene right at that time with mobile apps and cloud and being able to do things at scale that just weren't possible before. And I spent four long years terrorizing my professors, trying to do every single project I could around agriculture. And I had professor after professor pull me aside and say, please, please stop doing all these things to the farmers. Stop pestering the farmers and go do something with Apple or Amazon instead. But I didn't listen to them. And I'm really glad that I didn't. And I still catch up with some of them from time to time now. And they laugh about it too, that it was probably a good thing that I stuck with it. Uh, after undergrad, Texas A&M saw the research that I was working on and pulled me down there to College Station to do my graduate degree. And while I was at Texas A&M, Syngenta saw the work that I was doing as my research and said, you're moving to North Carolina. So I spent six and a half years working as a research architect for Syngenta in their research and development group in RTP, Raleigh, North Carolina. And about two years ago, I went to my, my manager and I said, you know, there was this concept that we were working on back in college that at the time really probably wouldn't have worked because the technology just wasn't there. It wasn't up to snuff to be able to make something like this. And I said, but I think a lot of that has really changed. And he said, whatever you do nights and weekends is your deal. Go crazy. And so I taught myself how to code. I built a very rough prototype and I gave it to some family friends up in Montana who are still farming. And I said, try this out and let us know if there's something here of value. And they said this, it was very rough at the time, but they could see that this was something that had some legs under it. This, this could actually work. And so that was when we got involved with Ag Launch, and we've been going nonstop ever since. See, and all that pestering worked out in the end because now, I mean, you're super successful. You're on the 30 under 30 ag grad list. So it all worked out, you know, for some higher good. But Tyler, I want to talk a little bit more about the shepherd farming platform because, of course, we have talked about it before and folks can go back and listen to that Tech Tuesday episode on the Ag News Daily website at agnewsdaily.com. But for those who don't know, Tyler, tell us a little bit more about the shepherd farming platform. What essentially are you guys doing? How can folks actually access the platform? Give us the elevator pitch. Yep, for sure. So the core premise behind Shepherd is that in agriculture, everything is about efficiency. And we've spent the last several decades getting every drop of efficiency that we can out of the machinery, out of the seeds, out of the chemicals. And really, when you look at the way a farm operates, all of that is fantastic. That's led to massive leaps and bounds in terms of what farms are able to do in the season. But the thing that still feels like it's 40, 50 years back in terms of how we operate is the labor side. It's how we manage people. It's how we keep our operations organized. And when I was with Syngenta, I'd spent a lot of time working with farms across the country. And I'd always 
pop into the farm management office and I'd see typically a wall covered in sticky notes or papers all over the desks and tables. And I'd ask them to explain how their system operates and, you know, where we use the sticky notes to keep track of what's in progress or we have papers that we print out and hand to people. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work well at all. And when you've got a labor shortage where, you know, we're hard pressed enough as it is to find enough labor to get the work done in the season, the last thing that you want to be doing is wasting any of that. For example, in the Midwest and in the Southeast, we typically have these morning meetings where you have the, the whole team come together for 60 to 90 minutes each morning to talk about the work. And I was sitting down with a great farm in Tennessee, and I said, wouldn't it be better if you could spend that time in the early part of the day when it's actually cool outside, not blazing hot, actually working? And he said, you know, yeah, that actually would. That would be fantastic. And the other side that we do is it's all about giving farm managers and farm management real-time information to make decisions based off of. So on our family farm and every farm that I've met with, most decisions are based off of what's worked in the past or a hunch or just that gut feeling that says, yeah, I think this is the way to go. And every other industry in the world, that wouldn't stand. We use data to drive those decisions and to make sure that we're on the right path and to make sure that things are going to pay off. And that's something that we're building with Shepherd is a way for farm managers to clearly see, all right, this is what we need to be working on. This is where things are getting behind. And when I need to think about where work needs to go in a day, this is where it makes the most sense to really be the optimal use of that. And we've got a farm, another farm in Tennessee where the farm manager, he told me as I was walking him through some of the updates we were pushing, he said, you know, if I could just get up to the minute information, if I could just get information that was timely and accurate about my farm, I know for a fact I could make decisions that would make our farm more money. And that's what we're doing with Shepherd. So Tyler, where have you been since the last time we spoke? I know right now you're on the West Coast doing some great things. So how have you really advanced with Shepherd Farming since the last time you were on the Ag News Daily Podcast? So obviously COVID was the, the gift that kept on giving for 2020, but our team really took that time to hunker down and make a lot of big changes, big structural changes behind the scenes that are really going to pay off in the long run. And what we've done is we've migrated our entire data model from a fairly simple model that worked pretty well. It was that you know, second generation off of my original prototype. It did the job into a completely API-driven system that's powering powered by Amazon Web Services. And this means we can push and pull data from other platforms. We can support multiple uh, hardware platforms. We've got Android and iOS on the platform already, and we're adding web support too. So you'll have a web app and a live dashboard, and even be able to have Shepard up on a TV, like a 55-inch screen in the office where you can walk right past the dashboard and say, how is our farm doing today? And then just like you mentioned, yep, we've been out on a road trip meeting with growers all across California, working with some of the largest produce growers in the country. And it's fascinating because it's such a different style of agriculture compared to how we do it in the Midwest and the Southeast. But it's one where every single minute counts. They've got regulations in California and they've got labor conditions that mean that not only what we're doing with Shepherd is that important, but it's vital for their operations. This is where things are really come alive and where people are saying, you know, oh my God, if we can get another hour or so out of the day, that's that's massive. So we're very excited to be working with these growers. And Tyler, I don't know if many people would determine COVID-19 as a gift. So I'm glad that you have that positive, <laughs> semi-positive, I guess, look on that. But when we're looking even more into the future, I know you have a lot on your plate right now. But when you're looking into the future for shepherd farming, where do you see yourself within the next five or so years? What's the next step here? 
Yep. So I obviously with COVID, yeah, it's like it did a lot of of knocking the wind out of our team sales as well. I think everybody in our industry felt it and we did too. Being trapped at home for a year was nobody's idea of fun, but we we definitely made the most of it and got a lot out of that time and we were talking as a team. I said, you know, it wasn't the year that we had planned, but we certainly made it work and certainly used it as best I think that we possibly could. For the next five years, we've got a lot of really exciting things on the roadmap, uh, really cool ways of using ag data and helping farms solve problems that right now just aren't able to be solved. And it's all because of the real flexibility of the way the platform's designed, being able to, to solve problems, not only with the labor side, but expanding that out into things that are coming onto and off of the farm. And we say that you know, when we talk to people about what Shepherd is, it's not just a labor management platform, a task management platform. Our mission is to prevent anything from stopping work getting done on the farm. And we've got some really exciting concepts that we're already talking about with folks in the industry about other problems that are tied to that, that we can start solving for the farm too. I joked with my parents, my mom said, when is this all done. And I said, well, I've got about three lifetimes worth of ideas. So I don't see an end to it yet, but I'm excited for where it's taking us because we're, it's it's really proving what we originally thought is where the the way the model works, the flexibility of it, and the design of it is proving time and time again that this is the right way to solve this problem. It's always great to talk to people like you, Tyler, who are so passionate about the industry. And I'm so glad that we have a spearheader like you on the 30 under 30 list. But where can folks find some more information about Shepherd Farming if they want to incorporate something like this on their operation? The best place to go is our website, shepherdfarming.com, or to find us on Twitter or Instagram at, at Shepherd Farming. We have a ton of great information coming out every single day about what we're working on problems that we're tackling, updates on how things are going. Right now, we support Android and iOS. And if you're interested, you can either find it in the App Store or shoot me an email or message me, and we will help you step-by-step step get installed, or you can get up and going on your own. It takes about 30 minutes for us to train a team, and we've gotten more and more farms using the platform, running on it, and finding real values in how they are able to operate more efficiently by using it. We're really excited about where we're heading. I'm also really excited, Tyler, and congratulations once again for being a part of the Ag Grad 30 Under 30 list. Really happy that we have folks like you in the industry that are working towards ameliorating this industry that we all love and are happy to be a part of. Sounds good. Same as well. I love being a part of the 30 Under 30 cohort. It's great, the, the little community that we've been able to form and just watching other groups and teams and people as well. There's a lot of really great work going on in agriculture. And I love how we're really all laser focused on pushing the industry forward, solving big problems and making it work for everybody a little bit better. Thanks again there to Tyler for taking the time out of his morning to come and chat with us. He was traveling through California, so we had to be a little bit flexible because he is doing his best, like he said in our interview, to help farmers and producers across the country. But we did do a Tech Tuesday interview with Tyler some time ago talking a little bit more about shepherd farming. So folks, you can tune back into that episode on the Ag News Daily website or wherever you catch your podcasts. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let him go.